What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. The last one of this football calendar year is tonight. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter. It's always a sad show because it means the season is over. Now, last year wasn't so sad. We all wanted 2017 to end. 2018, different story. Didn't want this one to end, that's for sure. Wanted to keep this one going for as long as humanly possible, but ran into a roadblock called the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. Texas lose 21-7. to couple opportunities at the end of the first half, late in the game. Could have made this one a one-score game, or if you get both of them, it could have made it a tie game, but didn't happen on this particular evening. And the Texans will lick their wounds a little bit this offseason and start getting it going for 2019. Bringing back a 23-year-old quarterback who set records, bringing back the best receiver in the game, bringing back guys healthy. One guy that's got to come back healthy is Will Fuller. If he comes back healthy and Kiki QT can play 14, 15 games, not telling what this offense can do. Look, this, this team has changes in the offing. There's no question. They've got changes to make. Offensive line, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see some changes. I think in the secondary we'll see some changes. And just all over this team, there are a number of free agents. Uh, we've talked about them. Just Clowney's a free agent. Kareem Jackson, Tyron Matthew, Kendall Lamb. There are guys that are free agents. And there are guys they're going to want to bring back and sign. Uh, and then there's going to be a draft that's going to bring in the influx of new blood, young blood. We'll see where the Texans go. They will be picking 23rd, 53rd, and 55th. The 53rd pick is Seattle's, and they've got that from the Dwayne Brown trade. So they'll draft 23rd and 55th. That's their picks. They'll have a pick in a third. I'm not sure what number that's going to be. There are no compensatory picks coming this year, I don't believe, so... Um, they won't have any extra in the third round unless they make a deal beforehand. But as of now, they'll draft 23rd, 53rd, 55th in the first two rounds. They didn't pick till pick 68 last year. They'll have three players before that. Now, they hit it out of the park with the pick they had at 68. That was Justin Reed, guy who started all year long for this team. I think he should make the all-rookie team. Um, he was fantastic. But every rookie contributed. So there's going to be a draft class that comes in here. They're going to be free agents signed, some of the Texans' own, and then I would imagine some they're bringing in from other teams. And they'll all come in here ready to compete and ready to go in a championship in 2019. And look, I, it's, it's no secret what this team must improve on going forward. Now, are there some, some spots where this team can get better and upgrade? Sure, absolutely. Maybe some that, you're not, that we're not even thinking about. Absolutely, and I'm sure people are going to hit me with them and hit me with those suggestions all off season, and and, and I don't blame them. But uh, today we'll we'll look forward a little bit because we'll talk to our luminaries on Monday as we always do. We'll also look back. I've got the offensive plays of the year. This is a replay show that I do, and I did it on Christmas night. So I'm going to add a couple plays to it that happened the weekend right before I recorded this up in Philadelphia. But we'll have the offensive plays of the year. I will also break down for you what happened throughout the NFL. Some things that are happening. Some news coming out of Tampa Bay that was like, whoa, what? Some big news coming out of there. The rumor of who the head coach will be in Tampa Bay. Pretty, pretty impressive. But wild card weekend. Close football games throughout the, throughout the playoffs. The spreads for these games going into this weekend 
A lot higher than I expected. A lot higher. Chargers will take on the Patriots. The Colts will go to the Chiefs. And then in the NFC, you've got the Eagles going to the Saints. And never say die, Eagles, going to the Saints. And the Dallas Cowboys going to play the L.A. Rams. So we will talk about all of that on today's show. But we're going to start with some hot reads. They're brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. And yesterday, unfortunately, was clean-out day in the locker room. It's a day that everybody, eh, well, I shouldn't say we all hate it. But it this year, I will say that I was not looking forward to this day. I kept thinking, I do not want to see this day. Because the one thing about locker cleanup day is everybody's saying goodbye. And this team will never be together again. This was a very fun team to be in a locker room with. Very fun team. And I loved going in there. I loved being around those guys. Could strike up a conversation with pretty much anybody in the locker room. And I didn't want, I didn't want that aspect of it to end. Just didn't at all. But yesterday was the was that final day because, like I said, you don't the same team will not be together. Players on a 2017 team that you didn't see in 2018, some that you had good relationships with, and you're just not going to see them. But we'll start with the man in charge, Bill O'Brien, and he was asked. He went to the podium and just said, "Hey, I'll answer any question you got for me today." So people fired away. And the first question was, would Bill consider hiring an offensive coordinator? And this is what he had to say. I think at the end of every year, we, we evaluate everything. And obviously, <clears throat> you know, we just ended yesterday. But uh, we'll take a look at everything. And, uh, you know, we always try to make the, the, the best decisions in the, in the best interest of winning. And like I said, after the game, I think we have a very good future here. Um, you know, a lot of things, obviously, to fix. But... Like I said, we'll we'll take a look at everything. 31 teams have got a lot of things to fix. Even the team that wins a championship knows it's got to fix some things going into the following year or just it won't be back. You know, Philadelphia learned that. I think Philadelphia learned that uh, very quickly. Uh, Obi was asked whether Romeo would be returning next year as defense coordinator. Yes. Yes, I certainly do. There you go. He's expecting him to come back. Now, Rack 71, I would imagine he'd want to come back, but that's – I think that obviously is whether he wants to step away or continue doing it. We'll find out more over the, the coming days, but I would imagine if Bill O'Brien wants him to come back, he can come back. And I think Rack will have something to prove. He's got some big-time players that he's dealing with, and I know he wants to he wants to see this defense at a much higher level than it was, especially in the last three or four games this year. Of course, the question of Deshaun Watson was going to come up with Bill O'Brien, it always comes up no matter what, whether Deshaun's playing great or he throws eight interceptions in a game. And Coach was asked whether he was happy with Deshaun's progress after this second year. He's such a, a unique guy. He's a very bright guy. He's a great player. Uh, he's an even better person. He made a bunch of strides this year. You know, he's only 23 years old. Played a full season coming off of an injury, which is hard to do. Um you know, the first quarterback to do a lot of different things, you know, combine the passing yards with the rushing yards. Uh, awesome guy to coach. Uh, we're lucky to have him in this organization. Uh, not lucky. I mean, we, you know, we, we went up there and got him. But, uh, you know, it's great to have him. And I think he'll make tremendous strides. No question he will. Going into this offseason, no, no doubt. All right, let's hear from a guy that I think a lot of us we're really excited to see. I know I was. I was really excited to see Kevin Johnson 
First preseason game at home against San Francisco. He had a concussion. First game of the season at New England. He had a concussion, and it was a tough year. And with concussions, man, you just you just don't know. You had the situation with CJ. He had three in a short span. CJ ended up hanging him up. Kevin was asked about 2019. Would he be ready to go? How excited is he? And definitely not looking back to 2018 as it was a rough year. Oh, that's definitely unfortunate, but it's in the past, um, and I'm moving forward. That's what he's got to do. He's got to move forward. Uh, and, of course, will you be ready to play? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good, and I'm going to be ready to go uh, next season. There you go. Kevin Johnson, hopefully be able to get them back. One thing I know for Kevin, the one thing whenever we do KJAC TV, Kevin is always one of the guys that everybody kind of pokes fun at. Everybody loves having him around, and I think it's the feeling is mutual. And he said it was difficult not being able to help the team this year. Having to sit on the sideline and watch, you know, you know, my brothers fight, um, you know, guys I would, you know, did spring with, uh, training camp, and then, you know, come out and how fast my season ended just with the unfortunate concussions I had. But, um, you know, it's, it's motivation for me, and, uh, you know, I know what I need to do uh, moving forward. There he is, Kevin Johnson. Let's move on to the offensive line. Nick Martin. I talked to Nick after the game, and I really appreciate that after a tough loss like that. I know it's tough to have to deal with me even for a minute, and that's really all I'm asking for is just a minute, minute and a half. If they win, they want to go longer, they can, but it's tough. But Nick did that, and he talked with me about why the future was bright, and he went a little further in the locker room yesterday. It's a special team. It's a special locker room. I mean, Sean was talking about that earlier. Um, not all NFL locker rooms are like this. And it's just a close, tight-knit group, everyone from every position group. And obviously, you have Deshaun back there doing what he does, and he's how young he is, even though he doesn't play that way. Uh, it's a bright future. It's amazing to think Nick Martin is one of the more experienced guys on this team. He's like been here three years. I mean, uh, I mean Hopkins, uh, you know, DeAndre's been here since 2013, but Nick, as far as guys that have been here, I mean, Nick and Kendall Lamb, I mean, it's unreal. Now, he mentioned Deshaun, and you can see the chemistry that those two have, and Nick talked about that. Uh, actually, Deshaun talked about that back in um, in I think it may have been training camp. We had uh, we talked to him, and he was saying, "Yeah, Nick and I roomed together back at the Greenbrier in 2017." And I think that's when this relationship really started to click. And this coming up in 2019, everything stays as is. Knock on wood. This will be the first year since 20. Oh wow, 2011 wasn't even that way. 2011 they had a different quarterback. Going all the way back to 2011. 2010-2011, center, Chris Myers, quarterback, Matt Schaub. 2011, center, Chris Myers, quarterback, Matt Schaub. The Texans have had a different quarterback-center combination since 2012. They'll have the same one for two consecutive years, and Martin and Deshaun and Nick talked about the relationship those two have. We actually roomed together his rookie year at Greenbrier. I think that kind of built the foundation, and then – um, you know, I feel like we have that center quarterback bond, and we can joke on the field, but we know when to lock in, um, kind of just meet eyes and just kind of know what's going on, know what the team needs. Um, you know, he trusts me, I trust him, and that's that open communication that really helps on the field and off the field. Certainly does. like having those two guys as the, the battery, if you will, the center quarterback battery, but to have them back in back-to-back years, it's the first time it's happened since Bill O'Brien's been here, first time it's happened since 2012, to have the same center quarterback. I mean, I, I know it's like, well, yeah, so, but you haven't had that. that. That's where you need to be consistent. You know, they often talk, you know, be strong at the middle. That's exactly where you've got to be strong, center and quarterback, and they'll have the same guys. So that relationship uh, will be stronger. The communication 
will be tighter. There'll be times where you don't even have to communicate. You know what each other's thinking. So I think that's huge to have that consistency. All things considered, everybody knock on wood comes back healthy uh, and nothing happens this offseason or in training camp. Let's hear from Tyra Matthew, a guy that came to Houston and was very thankful for everything Houston did. And I think vice versa. I think Houston was very thankful to have Tyra Matthew here. And he was here on a one-year deal. And there was a report from Ian Rapport said the Texans want to bring him back. And he said, feelings mutual. I want to be back. I'm just going to take some time, really reflect. Um, but, you know, like I said last night, you know, I really want to be here. Uh, you know, I love this team. love the locker room. love the coaching staff. So, hopefully, you know, the business side of it can take care of itself. But um, definitely want to be here. That's, that, when I heard that, I was like, man, let's, let's do it. Now, he also said how much it meant to him to be a Texan and be a part of this team this year. A lot of these guys giving me life, you know, this season, you know, really, you know, coming into, coming from a situation where, you know, I was really, you know, cut and humbled and you know, a lot of these guys really embraced me, you know, gave me the confidence and, uh, you know, I'm lucky I was able to, you know, return the favor. But, uh, you know, I think I, these guys mean as much to me as I mean to them. So. I don't know that I've met a more honest player like Tyron. The way that he, he, he openly will talk about, things that have impacted him impacted the team I mean I love love having that guy around this locker room love having him on this team and he said coming to the Texans rejuvenated him as a player you know I was humbled you know when I came to this team and um, you know a lot of these people here embraced me encouraged me um, and really saw the best in me and um, I think that was that was able to allow me to really you know have a clear mind um, really focus on football and focus on being a good teammate and um so uh, I think this year really was a success. Yeah, 11-5. and five. Tyron had a huge impact. The leadership, tackling in the back end. I mean, just you know, big plays, big tackles at big times. It's Tyron Matthew. Let's hear from Kiki QT. Said his 2018 was, you know, it was tough. It was a tough year. But, man, two games against Indianapolis, 11 catches in each game. That's pretty phenomenal. Kiki talked about his 2018 season. There's a lot of ups and downs this year. Um, obviously, wish I could have played more, but I know what I have to work on now, so I'll come back and make sure that better, way better. I'll tell you, just thinking about what a healthy Fuller, a healthy QT, a healthy Hopkins with a healthy Watson could do. My, my goodness. Now, when asked about his hamstring, he said, look, I'm not concerned. I know the things I need to work on, so I'm kind of glad that it happened here one. Set it down the road. So, like I said, I know what to work on. I work on it all season. I come back ready to go. Get him ready to roll. And you're talking about, you know, solidify the offensive line. My goodness. Holy smokes what they're going to be able to do. Now, one of, because of the injuries at receiver, one of the things the Texans were, that they needed to do was trade for Demarius Thomas. And Demarius, in a tough situation, and I hate it for him that he got hurt in Philadelphia the way that he did. But he said, you know, I, I want to be back in Houston. I would love it. I already you know, I told him I love it. You know, I love to be here. I love to my career. Uh, but we'll see. You know, it's, 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 it's a league. You know, it's, it's you know, what, you know, we got to deal with as players, as, you know, guys in the locker room. So it is what it is. It, and what he means by that, it is what it is. It's business. And everybody knows that it's a business. Uh, and I just got an email about Justin Reed, so let's get the Justin Reed cuts right here. And Justin had a really, really good year, a tremendous year. And 
he said he feels very different from before the season until now. It's wild, man. I feel like a completely different player. You know, I feel like I've really felt settled into my role here, really comfortable with the system. I'm really excited about my sophomore campaign because I know I'm going to be attacking it head first. You know what I mean? I don't have to go through those games to get adjusted to the speed of the NFL and things like that. I already be ready to go from the beginning. So that's one of the exciting things, at least for me personally, leading to the next year is 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 having that confidence and, and that uh, that aggressive mentality to attack the year next year. I can't wait to see what he does. I cannot wait to see what that young buck does. My goodness. Now, we just had Tyron Matthew on a second ago, and Justin has known Tyron for a while. He's known him going back. When his brother played with him at LSU, older brother Eric Reed is with the Panthers. He said Tyron meant a lot to him in his rookie year. The things Tyron's done for this group, he's been an incredible leader. He's been a voice. He's been a sense of energy and passion, really been able to give this team a personality and and a drive to attack the games. I mean, his pregame speeches all the time are very emotional. They really speak to me and help me get ready for the games each season, as well as what a bunch of the veteran players did this year. Like one part, A huge part of my success was the veteran leadership that we've had in this scene this season and their willingness to help out the rookie, you know, get me ready to play on Sundays. No doubt. And now Justin Reed gets to flip the script. Now he gets to be the veteran. Yeah, two-year veteran. He's a veteran, no longer a rookie. And he gets to flip that for the rookies that will come in here uh, starting in uh, late April, early May. When the Texans make their draft picks and start making moves, he gets to be that veteran influence. Even as a second-year guy, he can have that influence. No question about that. All right, those are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. When we get back to our good buddy Andre Ware right here on Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Welcome back to a Monday edition of Texans All Access. Colon, the last one. That's how it would look. Texans All Access, the last one. And you would separate it with a colon. That's just me being... Hopefully grammatically correct on that. But welcome back to the show. Appreciate you being here. And it's time for our buddy Andre Ware. Get an opportunity every single Sunday or whenever we're playing. Every single week, get a chance to spend three hours with my man. Now I'm down on the sidelines. But I love getting a chance to talk with Mark and with Dre during the breaks. Wish you guys could hear that show. It'd be uh, it'd be one of the highest rated shows you would hear. It's fantastic. But thank God you don't hear it. Uh, as a matter of fact. But either way, Dre spent a few minutes with us talking about this team going forward, and then I asked him at the very end, who does he have tonight, Clemson or Alabama? Here's Andre Ware. So a couple of days later, your thoughts on, on what went down on Saturday night and how the team has to sort of move through it into the future. Yeah, I still feel like a couple of days later, like I felt when I walked out, like I've been punched in the gut and you know, didn't see it coming. I didn't get my hands up. I didn't see see the punches coming, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I was down. And it's kind of like being yeah. knocked out in a fight. You still just kind of miffed at, uh, at just how it all unfolded, to be quite honest with you. So it it, uh, it was tough then, and it's still tough now to, to even think about. Hey, Dre, we were just talking about 2015 versus 2018. Obviously you lost that, that game to Kansas City in 2015. And we lose the one 2018 here at the Indianapolis Colts. But it feels different today than it did 2015 because 
I think we, Mark and I would look at each other in 2015 and go, well, who's playing quarterback for us next year? Whereas yeah. we look at 2018 and go, we know who the guy is who's going to lead this team going forward. Do you kind of feel that way, kind of same thing, the difference in those two years in that particular aspect? Yeah, there's no doubt. When Deshaun's on the field or, you know, with him in the locker room, you know you have a chance uh, each and every week to uh, to to win and be in games. That season in 2015 was, you know, kind of jumbled and you had no idea going into the offseason. This is uh, – it solidified itself for, for quite some time uh, with Deshaun Watson where you only need to, to tweak some certain areas, uh, certainly around him to protect him a little bit better. Uh, maybe find uh, a little bit better running game. I know at times they ran the ball well, but then I, I don't really put too much weight on in that because of who they were playing when they ran the ball. So um, unless it's the Colts, unless it's the Eagles, unless it's the Patriots, uh, teams that you know are going to be in the playoffs from week to week, then those stats don't really matter to me. But you have to you have to find that consistent running game when you're playing that caliber uh, of opponent. So. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, there are differences in the two seasons. Both had uh, some really, really highs and then certainly didn't end the way that you wanted them to end. Andre Ware joining us. Dre, two phases of the game that did not do well down the stretch. Pass defense, and I know they did much better in the second half on Saturday, but in the first half uh, you saw the damage done with 21 nothing deficit and lack of running game. If I gave you the choice, you get to have one of those – at full peak, heading down the stretch this season. We get to get it to the DeLorean, go back in time, and I'll give you one of them. The running game or pass defense being utterly phenomenal, which one are you picking? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to pick the running game because what it allows me to do is keep the defense off the field, and I can kill some clock. I can protect the quarterback. I think with with a consistent running game, uh, you can play action, so you'll be able to, you know, now the defense, their defense has to respect what you want to do in the running game where you're going to have a little bit more time uh, as they defend the run on the way and rushing the passer. Now, when you, you know, you look at it from that standpoint, it kind of covers up a lot uh, in terms of bleeding over and playing complementary football where your defense is out there where they're not having to defend against the pass quite as well. And I also believe that you get better on defense a lot faster than you do on offense. It takes all 11 working on offense, whereas uh, on a defense, uh, you can just kind of play with your hair on fire a little bit and and get there. Pass rush takes care of the back end at times. When you can find ways to get to the passer, that cleans up a lot on the back end where you're just not covering up quite as long. Get to your point, Mark, I think I think you actually could have gone either way. I mean, if you're better, if you're better stopping the pass, you get more more cracks at running the football. You get more plays. I mean, yeah. I think one, of, I think the Eagles game, I think they ran like thirteen or fourteen more plays than we did in that game. So either way, yeah, I think just just one of them. Maybe you just would have gotten either one. I think you would have been much better off. But that that said, Dre, thinking ahead to twenty nineteen, I say DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, and Kiki QT are healthy for at least 14 of 16 games. They can play all three of them together. And, of course, assuming that Sean Watson stays healthy too. Those guys stay together for 14 games. What do you think this offense can do? Uh, with a better offensive with better offensive line play, I, I think sky's the limit. Uh, you're looking at 
at the very least 10 plus wins uh, when they're all on the field together and then you throw in either tight end uh, and they're having a decent season as well and in terms of work in the middle of the field uh, against the defense, then you, you're looking at uh, some, a pretty successful high-powered offense. And Lamar Miller's healthy, give me that as well. Uh, throw him in there and, uh, and and you feel pretty good about things. Yeah, I mean, that would be unbelievable. I was going to say 13 games. If you could give those three to me all together for 13 games, I'll take my chances on whatever's going to happen. All right, I'll ask both of you this question then. If those three guys are all healthy, Dre, does the 29 touchdown mark that Mark Covitz eventually uh, going to come down? Yeah, it's going to come down. Yeah, if all three are healthy, I think so. I think they do. I, th- I think it happens. I think, though, before yeah, – we, we can't ignore the elephant in the room, though. There needs to be better offensive line play. You can, you can go give me Jerry Rice in his prime, and if I don't have time to throw the football – uh, it ma- it matters not who the skill position players are. They have got to get better up front. It just flat out front and center. That's got to happen. And so until that solidifies itself, you know, yeah, we can talk 13 wins. We can talk 11, uh, 29 touchdown passes. I am I'm totally in agreement with that. As long as the offensive line gives Deshaun Watson the time necessary to throw the football. Well, you know they're going to work on that. So having said that, how does Deshaun Watson feel, and what's he thinking going into his second full year as a starter, Andre, in your opinion? I can tell you how he feels right now. Right this minute, he wants he wants to play next week, you know, wishing that he could play next week. He's going through his mind and things that he personally could have done in the this past weekend's game to change the outcome. Uh, what more responsibility could I have sh- shouldered? Could I have checked out of this play to get to this one to give us a better shot on it? He's going through every single one of them. That's the thing about playing quarterback is that you remember every single play for 60 minutes that you were on a football field, uh, both on offense and if you're paying half attention to what's going on on the defensive side. You just remember the game that way, and you go back and you replay it and wonder how could I have positively affected the game. That's what he's doing right about now. Then it's, okay, how fast can I get back to work to get a little bit stronger for the uh, for the stretch of, of next season of 2019? And then he can't wait to get there. You know, it can't happen fast enough. When you get a taste of it in the playoffs, you want, you want back in right now. And now you got to sit around. I'm, I doubt that he'll watch anybody else play. Maybe he'll watch, he'll watch tonight's game, certainly, but not an NFL team and certainly not the AFC uh, as the playoffs continue to roll along. On the other side, Dre, in the NFC, the Eagles get the win yesterday, 16-15. And I told Mark, after we left Philly, I just felt like I felt like Philly had the opportunity to do that. Now I think going to New Orleans yeah. and being in New Orleans is going to be tough. But the fact that coming out of that Philly game, I just felt like, man, if the Bears – and the Bears are the ones that let him in. Because the Bears beat the Vikings the week before, I, so the I Bears predicted could've... this craziness. I I called them out on that. What are you doing? What are you doing? The Bears could have just laid down and gotten the Vikings the very next week and gotten a win, but they got the Eagles. But Dre, when and, and I'm, I'm sure you've been around this at some point on a team when a kicker miss. I mean, kickers don't do anything, and I know how a mm. lot of players feel about oh, he's kickers. He's got a story. Uh, what What do you do? How do you handle that as a player when? The guy that just, you know, does little rugby kicks and everything during practice and doesn't really go through practice with you guys. Like, how do you handle that in the locker room as a player? You're going to say all the right things 
certainly as a teammate and this, that, and the other. But when when guys uh, are away from it and you're sitting around and you know you you're, uh, you get together, they're playing Madden, they're over whomever's house or whatever. You know that those things are discussed. That that play, that kick is discussed about. That's all he needed to do. Uh, Trubisky drives us down the field, and we're in position to win. I mean, it, all of that's going to come out. It, it's it's human nature. It's part of being on a team, and and, and the disappointment of uh, of the situation that that took place, the the hitting of the crossbar, all of it. And so, uh, as a teammate, you're you're uh, you're going to be supportive uh, with that guy at that time. But uh, let's just say that if the coaches decided to make a change in Chicago. Uh, not a lot of guys would be uh, uh, against it, so to speak, because that's a time that it's so hard to get there. It's even harder to get back. And uh, you think, well, next year we'll do this. Uh, That may not ever come. Look at what Dan Marino did early in his career and then never got back to a Super Bowl. Never got back. Not even close. Yeah, I mean, he uh, lost to the Patriots – in the AFC Championship game in '85, I mean, it was. I, did he play in another AFC Championship game? Even I got to look that up. I gotta, yes, against the I'm, Buffalo Bills. Against the Bills. Okay. Bills. Anyway. Dallas, that's Dallas, right. Miami, that's right. That's right. right. One other time he did. Andre, quick thoughts on this thumbnails. Uh, you got the Colts at Kansas City and the Chargers at the Patriots. And by the way, just for the sake of next week, I am a. I'm going to say it's San Diego Supercharger because I want to go with the old theme song. Which I mean, I, I looked for the theme song to see if they updated it to Los Angeles, and the syllables work, but the inflection no. doesn't. You got to go San Diego San Superchargers. San Diego Superchargers. All right. So anyway, what do you think of those? It doesn't surprise me that you're that you're uh, now a Charger fan the rest of the 20, 2018, 2019 <laughs> season because I know your your uh, your love for Dan Fouts, and so that's right. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it, and and that doesn't surprise me. One thing I have for you guys is how about yesterday's conservative offensive approach by Baltimore? I mean, it couldn't have been more pathetic for three quarters before they decided to cut Lamar Jackson loose. And I'm sitting there watching that game like, okay, when are you going to take the handcuffs off this guy and let him play? And when they yeah. do, he tosses two touchdown passes. It was right. pathetic. I almost, I almost got the feeling – that Morningwig was calling the game so Flacco could come in. I honestly had that feeling yesterday. Well, you, you, were, go. you were fighting against this force. <laughs> that, game, that game, I'm telling you, for a long time was there for the taking for Baltimore, and they just wouldn't cut the kid loose. It was run up the middle, run up the middle, throw on third down. Nobody can win that way. All right, and what about uh, the Chiefs and the Colts? Uh, I, I think both games are going to be closer than what you think. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Philadelphia goes to New Orleans and wins that game, and wow. it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. High-powered offenses that have sat around for a while, take a little while to get going, which is why I don't like the bye week. I wouldn't be surprised. The Colts have every single ingredient except experience. Mm-hmm. To go to Kansas City and win that football game, and that might help them. One. They got a they got a running game. They got defense. They got a quarterback that can flat out get it done. Uh, they and they've got enough of all of it. Special teams, every single ingredient. Yeah. And Kansas City's been sitting there waiting. And when you wait, it takes a little while to get going. 
Uh, I think some people saw some uh, some vulnerabilities late in the season in Kansas City. The Colts are ripe to go there and upset them. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Dre, in one word, who you got tonight? Alabama, Clemson? Alabama. Close game, but I got Alabama. All right, cool. Thanks, Dre. Really appreciate it. Sorry, guys. Over five seasons of doing the sidelines for the Texans, I love those two guys, man. Mark Vandermeer, Mark Vandermeer and Andre Ware, and those guys are the best. I love each and every game day with them. And we have text strings going on in the offseason about when a CFL football start. And it's just great getting a chance to catch up with Dre uh, each and every Monday. Get a chance to obviously talk with him during the week. But then each and every game day, I think he's great at what he does. And he picked Alabama. And I think that too. I think it's going to be pretty close. It sounds like the weather's going to be ugly. And I think Alabama's got the better run game. But against that... Clemson defensive line without Dexter Lawrence. That might give Alabama a little bit of an edge. But I think the Alabama run game, Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, Najee Harris, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna plow uh Clemson. It's good I think it's gonna be a lower score than people think if the weather ends up being a factor. What it sounds like. It sounds like wind, rain, they've already canceled one of the big concerts. So uh that could get a little dicey out there in Santa Clara. But I got Alabama winning as well. All right, we get back. We'll go around the NFL from this weekend. Wild card weekend. And some news in the NFL, like, kind of, really? That could possibly happen? We'll do that next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Monday edition. I almost said Wednesday. It's Monday. Good grief. The days all running together. Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Welcome back to the show. Glad you are here with me. It is, as I've said a few times, our last show for the 2018 season. Going to hibernation for a little bit. We'll have our podcast in the lab, Vandermeer's View, Deep Slant. We'll have all that for you. But we'll be taking a break from terrestrial. Hopefully I said that right. Terrestrial radio. And I figured this would be a good time to kind of catch up what's going on around the NFL. Three wild card games yesterday or this weekend, not including the Texans. And all of them, six point, one point, two point games. And... I'm not going to say I told you so, but if you listen to me, I did Texans pick them all year long, and I did it for the playoff games. I gave you Cowboys, I gave you Chargers to upset the Ravens, because the Ravens were favored, and I gave you Eagles to straight up beat the Bears. I don't know what I would have made on a Moneyline parlay, but I would have made some bucks, and I would have made bucks for you, and I gave them all to you. Cowboys went 24-22. Now, I know that was a bad beat for some, because... My line was two when I did it on Friday. That game was on Sunday. It didn't move to two and a half. I'm sorry. Uh, I did it on Friday. Earlier in the day, on Saturday, it moved to two and a half. Or maybe Friday evening. But the last line I saw was two. So it would have given you a push. But those at two and a half, the Seahawks went for two at the end of the game when it was 24-20 because Sebastian Janikowski had been injured. So they didn't want Michael Dixon to kick extra points. They, they worked on it, and he just couldn't do it. And so they just went for two. And they got it both times. They went for two. But no Janikowski hurt them when they went for the outside kick. Michael Dixon tried to drop kick. He kicked it right in the arms of Cole Beasley. Cowboys win. Cowboys move on. They go to L.A. That's going to be a fun ball game. I know the spread is, is like six or seven at this point. I think that's going to be a fun ball game. I don't know what the status of Todd Gurley will be. But I think Dallas is going to be able defensively to give them some issue. And I do think that Zeke Elliott will be able to run the football. And Dak Prescott the last few weeks has really kind of found it, especially with Amari Cooper. Chargers get the win over the Ravens. And 
I didn't get a chance to see this game right off. I hopped in a car. I was running a couple errands yesterday. And as soon as I got in the car, and I was listening to the broadcast on Westwood One. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Ian Eagle and maybe Tony Baselli. They were doing a game, Chargers-Ravens. And they threw it down to Ben Lieber, who was doing his sidelines. And Ben picked up on this, and he said, the Chargers are playing seven defensive backs. So there's nickel, and then there's dime. What the hell is seven defensive backs? You can't call quarters, because quarters is used to divide the field up into fours, in the quarters. You can't, well, so what is a seven defensive back alignment? Well, the Chargers went with that to try and stop the Baltimore Ravens, and it worked. Ravens couldn't get anything going until the fourth quarter, and then Lamar Jackson pulled magic out of his hat. Had the ball with a, about a minute left with no timeout, so they still had a chance. And then Yushin Owasu from USC, a guy that the Texans had last year in the Senior Bowl and coached him in the Senior Bowl, stripped the ball out of Jackson's hands. Chargers got on it. Chargers get the win. They go to New England next Sunday. And then the Eagles-Bears, a game that, because it was the last of the day, but also because of the way that it finished – the Eagles and the Bears' dream season. Bears finished 12-4. and four, And the Bears had the opportunity to lay down in Week 17. And had they lost to the Vikings, it would have kicked the Eagles out. And the Bears would have played the Vikings. And the Bears would have hammered the Vikings. They beat them at home earlier that year. Yeah, they would have kind of laid down for them in Week 17. It would have been a split. But the Bears would have gotten a team that they, they knew well and they, I think they would have taken apart the Vikings. But the Eagles, I saw them three weeks ago. Three weeks ago? I guess it's three weeks ago. Week 16? So, you know, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. It seems like a longer time ago. Saw them in Philadelphia. Saw what Nick Foles brought to the table. Saw that defense play well. Then I also saw, obviously, Deshaun do some things. I didn't think Trubisky could do that against them. Now, one interesting aspect coming out of this, Trubisky didn't do much against them. But he did throw for 303 yards. Oh, that was pretty impressive. He threw for 303. Now it took him 43 attempts to do it. He made a couple of key throws down the stretch. Allen Robinson was big. But the Cody Parkey field goal was blocked. It was changed today. Travion Hester, who I saw on film, was really impressive to me for the Eagles. Been in the practice squad for a while. He joined them late in the year. He's made some plays. He comes up with the fingertip block. That changed the trajectory. That missed the field goal. Upright, crossbar, doink, doink, over. And the Eagles get the win 16-15. to 15. So, your division round matchups. Saturday, Colts at Chiefs. Cowboys at Rams. Sunday, Chargers at Patriots. Eagles at Saints. What's interesting about this is that each wild card game, the spread was no bigger than three in three of the games. Maybe two is the largest. Except for the Bears uh, and Eagles. That was six. Every one of these is like five points or more. So teams get a bye. They're getting, uh, they're getting some love from Vegas. But I, if I were to see an upset anywhere, I could see the Chargers playing well in New England, and I could see the Colts playing well with the Chiefs. I wouldn't be surprised if Chargers host the Colts. I, I just wouldn't be surprised in that for the AFC Championship game. You, Chiefs-Patriots, I wouldn't be surprised with that too. That's what everybody wants to see. I, look, we talked about the Texans. They just didn't play well enough to be in that game. Kind of just ran out of ammo at the end of the year. But they'll be back, and they'll get it going in the right direction. Now, I teased a little bit of this information, some NFL information, some stories around the NFL. Number one is there is a potential new 
quarter, uh, new coach in Tampa Bay. Potential. Now, this has been rumored earlier today, and then kind of following it throughout the day, it looks like he's the choice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they haven't sat down and gotten all the con- the contractual I's dotted, T's crossed, and that would be Bruce Arians. Oh, wow. But they haven't gotten to the contract part, or actually they're working on that. But keep an eye on Bruce Arians to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How about that? Now, the Baltimore Ravens, after the loss, they're working on an extension with John Harbaugh trying to get that taken care of. A couple of kind of coaching and, 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 and college moves that are kind of bleeding over to the NFL, and I'll explain why. Number one, Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins did declare today for the NFL draft. That then gets everybody excited because teams are needing quarterbacks. Jacksonville, potentially Denver, potentially the Giants. Those teams need quarterbacks. They've got one in the draft now. Dwayne Haskins does declare. Justin Herbert goes back to college. Dwayne Haskins, the one-year wonder, decided to declare. He very well could be QB1 in this thing. I mean, he. I think he's the first quarterback off the board. Wouldn't be surprised if he's the first player taken. It's not Arizona, though. I mean, Arizona, Arizona loves this because now they can parlay that into trading that to a team that does need it because San Francisco's two. They don't need a quarterback. The Niners don't. Um, three, I can't remember who three is, but maybe it's the Raiders. I think it might be the Raiders at three. But either way, Dwayne Haskins in the draft. Some team that needs a quarterback might be thinking about moving up to number one and the Cardinals have got to love that because the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen last year. He's going to be the future. But the Cardinals are looking for a head coach. How about the name Cliff Kingsbury? Kingsbury has been cleared to interview with the Arizona Cardinals. Now, some people are kind of doing some forensics on this. Apparently, USC had been denying Kingsbury from interviewing. When some people went to the USC website today to see the coaching staff, Kingsbury's not listed. As, a, as an assistant coach. So apparently, they are interviewing him, Cliff Kingsbury, for the head coaching position with the Cardinals. Wow. Now, there are some other teams apparently that have shown some interest in Kingsbury as well, but Cliff Kingsbury, head coach, the Arizona Cardinals? Wow. I mean, that would be unbelievable. Unbelievable. But there's just some of the coaching news that's going on with teams throughout the league. Some of the info, the Bruce Arians of Tampa Bay is very intriguing. And Texans play Tampa Bay next year, and that will be in Tampa more than likely. I do see a London trip, but I think it might be another team. We'll talk about that down the road. All right, we get back. We'll talk with the general, John McClain on Texans All Access. Let's get it started in our second hour of the program. Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. It's our last one of the year. It's our last hour of the football calendar year we take a break until after the Super Bowl so we will be back Mondays 6 to 7 after the Super Bowl after the Super Bowl 6 to 7 Mondays we'll have all our podcasts we'll have those going in the lab Vandermeer's View Deep Slam we'll have those going and may have a few others as well to add to the mix but we'll be off radio until the Monday after the Super Bowl so there you go I'll I'll miss it I, I love doing radio each and every week so I appreciate you guys listening, I'll say that obviously at the end of the show, and I'll maybe say it a little bit more vociferously, but thank you very much for being here. And the second hour of the show, we kick it off with the general.
John McClane. Here he is. All right, the guys in this playoff. Before we in get this playoff, playoff, tell me the guys who are playing in these playoffs who lost their first career playoff start, and some of them very badly. Go ahead. So 12 quarterbacks. Quarterbacks in the 2018 NFL playoff field who lost their first career playoff game. Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Phil Rivers, Andrew Luck, Nick Foles, Dak Prescott, Sean Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, Lamar Jackson. To be determined, Patrick Mahomes, quarterbacks who won their first, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson. Peyton Manning lost his first career playoff oh, game. Oh, Peyton Manning lost his first one. Oh, let me tell you how he did. Uh, his first playoff game at the age of 23, he went 19 of 42 for 227. That's a 45% completion percentage. And they lost to the Titans after having a bye. Yeah. The next year, he was 17 of 32, 194 yards, did throw a touchdown. That's only 53%. And then his third year, his, his third time in the playoffs, he was 14 of 31, 45% completion, two interceptions. Yeah. He went his first three playoff games and was dreadful. Didn't complete more than 53% of his passes. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. With, he turned you know, out TW4 all right. didn't play well on Saturday. Nobody did. But uh, guess what? I'll ride with the guy who just threw for 4,000 yards, rushed for 500, threw 25 touchdowns. First guy in NFL fun. history to do that. I think it'll be a lot better as he gets older. And, and pr- hey, look, this is his first offseason where his first offseason. It's his first ever yeah, offseason where off he doesn't have the knee in the NFL, all right? He only had one offseason in the NFL. That's rehab. Let's this get is the, an offseason. Yeah. Let's get the general on John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. Sorry to keep you waiting, General. Your thoughts as you had some time to reflect, review, what do you think about Saturday? What do you think moving forward, General? First of all, about Deshaun Watson, what made his performance so impressive is he had DeAndre Hopkins and nobody else. When you didn't have Will Fuller and Marius Thomas, there was a big drop-off with young guys, inexperienced guys. And then the offensive line was terrible. They couldn't build a running game over the last five games unless it was Watson. Not exactly. It started with the Colts in that game in which they ended the nine-game winning streak in which they discovered something about the Texans up front and the backs did not run from that point on. And so all the pressure was on Watson, and I thought he was outstanding, and I thought that the way he was eviscerated by Steve Smith was ridiculous because he'd been doing that all season, and it took one second, and that's got nothing to do with nothing when it came to getting their butts kicked at home by the Colts. So Watson was the best thing they have. Watson will be the best thing they have. And the hopes they have of ever winning a Super Bowl will be on his shoulders. And I think, as I wrote today, they go into an off season having no questions about quarterback. Last year, they had questions about his torn ACL and his rehab and could he stay healthy, and now they don't. That's a huge factor right there. And, you know, we all assumed he'd be healthy, but that's that's not an easy assumption. He's playing on that ACL, that re- repaired, recovered, rehabbed ACL all season long, and he had the ribs and he had the collapsed lung and everything else, and he was able to get through the entire 16-game campaign. It just didn't work out in the postseason. But, General, obviously you can't ignore what was a poor performance by this team on a big stage. So your thoughts on that and how they need to fix that part of things. First first of all, I was like everybody else. I was stunned that the Colts were able to come out and just shove it down their throats. You know, you guys were talking about Luck's passing yards. He had 191 in the first half, and he was and he, and he, you're up 21-0, 14-0 in the first quarter, and then it's like they called off the dogs and they ran, ran, ran some more. 
that was the one thing I thought if the Texans were going to do, and I know everybody did, they would contain the Colts' running game. They had totally shut it down the first two times. Mack averaged 2.2 yards of carry in the game he played against them here. And then the one thing the defense did, you know, they couldn't stop the clock when it came to the pass, but when it came to the run, they were great. And then to give up 200 yards, and I don't care when it was, was just embarrassing. And when I think about next season, you know, looking back on this season, yes, that was a disappointing playoff loss, an embarrassing performance. But you go from 412 to 11 and 5, that's a successful season. And when you think about the next season, you look at the quarterbacks they face this season or the ones they're going to face next season, it's like night and day. The schedule is so much more difficult on paper. And the thing that bodes well is Brian Jane had a really good draft without a one and a two. Now he's got a one and two twos. He's going to have some cap room. They're not going to spend all $68 million on free agents. they got to re-sign their guys. they got the draft pool. they got other kind of hidden costs that will come out of that. But if Gain wants to spend big bucks on a tackle like they offered Nate Solder $16.5 million last year, if he wants to do that, he can. I kind of think more there's more corners available in free agency than offensive tackle. I kind of feel like they'll – draft two tackles and a corner in the first two rounds and then sign a corner because they got to get some speed and size at corner. And then, of course, we know what they got to do in the offensive line. Well, I think what's interesting, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about the schedule next year. Everybody in the division has got to face the same thing. You know, everybody in the yeah. division has got to face Drew Brees and Cam Newton and Matt Ryan and whoever's in Tampa, James Winston, whoever. Everybody in the division has got to face him. Yeah, we got to face Brady, but Indy's got to face Roethlisberger. So, you know, everybody's, everybody's got to face Mahomes, everybody's gotta face, Yeah, everybody's got to face Mahomes and Rivers as well. So, you know, from that perspective, everybody in the AFC South is going to get a little bit of a comeuppance. But to that point, John, going forward, I would think after seeing the last few weeks and how much they were giving up against, uh, you know, against quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, whatever, Donald and Foles, I don't know if you say they're great quarterbacks, but how much they gave up through the air, I would imagine that's priority one is fixing the secondary and making sure that that doesn't happen again. But to your, to your, you know, in your thoughts, where do you think this team has to make the biggest changes, both offensively and defensively? We have to think special teams have been pretty good, and a lot of special teams players they end up signing later on as it is. But where do you think offense, defense, this team has got to make some some changes? And what do you think the priorities are, John? Well, special teams are in great hands. You know, Bill's not going to be looking for a fourth special teams coach in six years. Brad Seeley did a great job and his assistance, and Brad means more to Bill than just special teams. He helps him in a lot of areas. Getting him, when John Gruden went into Oakland, wanted to make changes, that was great for the Texans. So there's no issues on special teams for the first time since O'Brien's been here. Offense, can you imagine what it would be like to have Hopkins, Fuller, and QT on the field the full season? Now, we're not going to see that, but I don't know what the over-under would be, those three together. You can count on Hopkins, but not the others to stay healthy. But when you thought, saw how QT played in this game, how he, he's a Colts killer. And then Will Fuller, 11 touchdowns in 11 games with Watson, no drop passes since his rookie year. That passing game would be tremendous. But 
you know, they've got to do something about offensive tackle, and I think they'll have two new ones. You know, Chantrell Henderson, they liked him in the offseason. They liked him in preseason. They liked him in training camp. They signed him to a one-year, $4 million deal. Does he want to come back here? You know, he was hurt in the first game. He'll be healthy in the offseason. So do they want to bring him back on a similar deal? They have the money to do it, but they're going to need two new starting tackles. Martinez Rankin is going inside. Last year is one of their third-round picks. And uh, I think Nick Martin is was their most consistent offensive lineman. But they have got to make improvement like the Colts make. Now, they're not going to be able to pick sixth overall. And they're not going to be able to pick as high as the Colts did to get Quentin Nelson and, and uh, Braden Smith, but they still, they've got to do it. And I looked over a long list of tackles last night, and we're early in the evaluation process, and there's a lot of them. If you need one high in the first round, you're not going to get one. But if you're looking down for value down near the bottom of the first round where the Texans are picking 23rd, then there are going to be some candidates. You never know. Brian Gain has somebody he loves and trades up to get them. But the offensive tackle and corner, and they need another pass rusher. They got two. They couldn't generate a rush from anybody else consistently. And I think a guy we'll see make a big improvement is Duke Azufor. And uh, he had two hits on uh, luck in that game. Nobody else had more than one. All these guys that were in their first year going into their second, uh, they're fired up about them. And uh, that should get fans even more fired up about the draft and free agency based on what they did last year in Gaines' first year in charge. John, the playoffs move on. So the Colts at Kansas City, what do you think of that one? I think with the Colts playing as well as they are, they're capable of beating anybody, anywhere, anytime. Chiefs' defense is not good. The running game is not good. They got Patrick Mahomes or Bust, and uh, I think this is going to be a great game. I'm not thinking against Mahomes at home, although Randy, Andy Reid has been a terrible playoff coach. I'm still going with uh, the Chiefs. How about what happened yesterday in Chicago? Your thoughts on that one? I feel so bad for the kicker. The uh, Philadelphia, what was it? The Daily News uh, back page, by the way, on the tablet. Sorry to interrupt, General. Was clanks for the memory. It was was pretty good. Uh, Not if you're a Chicago fan, but it was pretty good. Anyway, I'm sorry, General. Go ahead. That's all right. Also, the kick was tipped. And I think 95% of the sports fans don't realize that. Yep. And he didn't realize it, but they showed the slow motion film so many times, kind of like Zap Ruder film, <laughs> that uh, one of the players got his got his hand on it, which had to be good enough to redirect it. So I hope the fans who were just killing him as he walked off the field and on social media, I hope they're a little more understanding. And I, I don't know, Saints just killed the Eagles and made them four and six, just humiliated them. I'm not thinking against the Saints, but, boy, what we've seen in Nick Falls, if he goes in there and they get revenge, it won't surprise me. People are saying, what does he do to where they make the decision of him over Carson Wentz, and they're not. You know, what if he wins another Super Bowl? All he's doing is adding money to his bank account, and he's going to be unrestricted. Can you imagine the kind of money he's going to be offered from teams like Denver and Jacksonville? 
Yeah, Jacksonville, we know for sure. Well, I don't know how much money they got to spend because they might be having to jettison some defensive linemen because of that. But, John, do you give Dallas a shot in L.A.? I do. I think that that's not a real big home advantage, and the Cowboys have a lot of fans out there. I think the Cowboys would have had no prayer going to New Orleans because they beat the Saints, and I don't think they could win in the Superdome. But out there, I'll bet you that crowd's about 90,000 with 50,000 Cowboy fans. And when we're watching on TV, it'll sound sometimes like a home game for the Cowboys. John, we appreciate the visits all season long, and we look forward to having you on Texans All Access uh, after the Super Bowl when we roll on with those shows. Thank you so much. I look forward to it, guys. Thank you very much as always. There he is, the General John McClain joining us. Appreciate having the chance to talk with the General. That's one of the things I miss in the offseason. We do get to see him at the Combine, and we do get to see him at certain spots in the draft, obviously, things like that. But I miss the General, man. I get a chance to see him every so often out and about, but get to see him all the time during the season. He comes in, speaks with Mark on Thursday, and has uh, the hour before Thursday Night Football, and get a chance to talk to him for a couple minutes. I hate that we won't do that for at least a little while. But either way, John McClain joins us each and every Monday. Okay, we get back. It's time for our good buddy Spencer Tillman. He is kind of our football psychologist, if you will. Psychiatrist, psychologist. Either way, take your pick. But he kind of can bring us down where we need to be, or he can kind of bring us up where we need to be. He kind of helps us with all of that. So we take a seat on the couch with our buddy Spencer Tillman next right here on Texans All Access. Let's dive right in with our good friend, Spencer Tillman, who joined us today. First of all, tell me about the performance, and it's perplexing to me how they weren't able to rise to even their average level of performance. It was it was Watson's first two-score game loss since high school. What did you make of it? Why? How? All of it. Well, first of all, good morning, gentlemen. I, I think that, in a nutshell, you could not have run into a more white-hot, quarterback in this not just the wild card round but in all of NFL football in this postseason I think that what Andrew Luck is doing and has done and what Frank Reich who I'm going back old school guys on you uh, but has been able to do whether it was the Texans or the Oilers that preceded it whether he was in the uniform or the coach on the sideline that guy is one of the most brilliant individuals I've ever been around and and watched operate and function his temperament his mindset the way he thinks through matchups the way he exploits matchups it's really unbelievable to watch. But so, first thing, against any other offense, I think our defense would have had – it wouldn't have been going down the field twice on consecutive drives and scoring points. But for the fact that you've got three first-round draft picks, Kelly's back in the mix at the center, white-hot quarterback, all those things converge that made it a perfect scenario. Texans got a little bit of pressure, just didn't close enough to get home. That was part of what we saw in those opening drives, those five consecutive third-down conversions obviously gave him more opportunities to do what he does best uh, in, in Andrew Luck. Those things, that start, is what really affected us and not allowed us to really get into a mode where we could remain competitive. And that was, the, that was in a nutshell, the game was over to me at that particular point. You never give up uh, in terms of your physical, what you get after things, but in terms of an approach, a philosophy, a scheme, all of that was set in the first couple of series. Spencer, guys go through their first playoff game. We, we talked about this last week. The mindset going into the playoffs. Everything's a little faster. Everything's a little quicker. you got to be a little bit sharper. And how much value does a player get out of playing that first playoff game for the future? And, and, and mainly talking about Deshaun, but 
you know, Kiki QT played his first playoff game and first pass to him was a little behind him, but it's a catch he probably makes, you know, nine times out of ten. He didn't make that catch. What is it that guys can learn coming out of that first playoff game that can help them get better for the next one, the next series of games that they're going to have down the road? Well, listen, that's a tough, complex question, but it, because it's, it's, it's individual with every player. But as a general rule, I think what you need to do is, in, in most cases, you're going to learn the most when something bad happens. You're going to learn most when you lose games. But in a, in a single elimination scenario, the only way you can have an appetite for to kind of anesthetize you from that next failure is to win. It is the taste of winning that gets you to come back. Now, if you're dealing with situations where you've got a game to lose, then if you win or lose, you can gain from both scenarios, probably more in a loss. But in the playoffs, when it's single elimination, you need to win. And you also need to have a culture in your locker room of enough people that have been in playoff scenarios to continue to repeat the narrative of what it's like to lose. And I think the combination of both those gives you the balance that you need to move forward. In a locker room, you got a guy's head on a swivel, not quite sure what to do, how to react, how to respond. They may have individual battles that they've overcome, you know, like J.J. Uh, Watt, chief among them, who overcame a potentially career-ending scenario. But that, to me, is almost a personal deal. I'm sure he was a leader. I'm sure he communicated that to everyone in that locker room. But everybody in there, you just came in off the bumper with, with Reed. He's a first-year player. You know, he doesn't know what it's like to be in the playoffs. He doesn't know what it's like to be in that scenario. And you lose him to a rib injury. So what is the constellation of, of content that you have in there from those players in real time that can continue to repeat that narrative and shake guys up and wake them? And I think the Texans, if there's anything that probably they're short on in that area, is a is a is a nucleus of players with a rich depthness of, of playoff uh, experience that they can go and kind of communicate that throughout the team. Watson moving forward, Spencer, when you look at the performance, it wasn't what he wanted to do, of course, and he had some misses, he had some opportunities, and it wasn't just him, obviously. This is an ensemble kind of thing. But what about his mindset going into the offseason? He's so young, he's got a bright future. Well, you know, that's a narrative that everybody talks about. And, again, I, I am the biggest fan of, of Watson, and, and I um, through and through. But I will tell you this, that we need to challenge him. Coaches need to challenge him to continue to grow. I think because he is 23 years old, there's a temptation not just with coaches, but with anyone, fans included, not to be critical in certain situations. But creative tension is important. I would argue that it's necessary. Versus a cover two look, particularly down in the end zone, in the green zone, inside or near the green zone, almost close to the five-yard line, two deep safeties in the back of the end zone, I say that's an insult. You've got to be kidding me that you're going to do that. You, and particularly because I'm a dual threat, a legitimate running quarterback. So to me – that was basically saying, well, we don't think you can beat us with your arm. That's what that was saying to me. But there were close windows down on that opportunity nine, at the nine-yard line or close there, and we had a chance to score and make a play. The ball was off the mark a little bit, and um, but you can't. Those windows are too significant, too huge. They were rushing three, dropping one in the coverage. It was kind of an kind of old classic Dick LeBeau-type blitz where you got a lineman involved dropping in the middle of the field. But the windows were still there the throw was not accurate. And so in those mission-critical situations, you got to challenge the youngster to make those plays. And he can make it because he's made them before. I don't know if it's the accumulation of the, the sacks that, that neared, you know, sixty in the high 60s that got to him eventually or what. But in those scenarios, and it was a couple of other what I call emotional throws, where the moment dictated how much velocity, how much depth he put on them. And that's what you come away with in terms of evaluation. You say, okay, what was the context? Why did he overthrow it? 
uh, is who's he throwing it to, how much reps that they have with them. DeAndre Hopkins is probably the only one on that roster that can not practice and still have some modicum of consistency in the throw game with him. Uh, the other guys, you know, it's, you're not going to be optimum in that in that area. So um, it's it's a tough situation to go in, but he's proven time and time again that he's doing is doing it and can do it, and the upside for him obviously is off the chart. We're all excited about that. But you got to resist the temptation to just shower him with praise and then challenge him on those other points. Spencer, priorities going into 2019, what does this team have to do? We've talked about the offensive line. We've talked about the secondary. Is there something that we're missing that you think this team has got to be able to have in 2019? No, you got a lot of t- cap money. you got the 23rd pick. you got to get an offensive tackle. you got to get somebody that can uh, – Take that reassurance to another level. You've got to be able to run block. I don't know what you're going to do if you're going to make some acquisitions, but you've got to be able to run the ball. Look, Deshaun Watson can't be your top rusher for five consecutive games. That cannot exist. You cannot do that in, in, in a high-risk sport. I don't care if you're a legitimate dual threat or not. You need to have that run game working, and that's more a function of not who's in the backfield but who's up front. And, again, at the corners, you know, you, you got K.J., who's obviously career maybe even in jeopardy. You've you got to have some consistent corner play, some guys that can shut folks down because you've got the push up front. But let me tell you guys, that clock runs fast on the defensive side. It always takes more energy and a higher motor to play effective um, a, or football as a defensive player along the line of scrimmage than it does. We used to say in the old school that offense is creative, a creative process, defensive a destructive process, how it always takes longer to do the creative than the, 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 the destructive, but it also takes more energy to play effective defense. And so J.J., who's 29, will be 30. You know, that's that 30 is going to go to 31, 32 faster than it would be for an offensive player that doesn't have the requirement of playing at a high level that the position demands. So you got a 23-year-old quarterback, and your star on defense will be 30. So when you look at that, how long can you keep them at their zenith at both sides? That window is a lot shorter than most people think. So, again, get Jadavian signed, get him back. You need a little nasty in that locker room. Get a couple more guys that may be edgy. You may have to monitor them a lot more, but I think you need a balance of that in your locker room to be effective. Spencer Tillman joining us. One more for you, Spencer. Moving forward, these playoffs, Colts against Kansas City, Chargers at New England. Give me your thoughts on those two. Chargers at New England. I think Chargers will beat New England. Uh, Kansas City, to me, that to me, I was really looking at that last night. Kansas City reminds me of maybe a less competent defense than we have, but a mobile quarterback in an offense that's prolific. Andy Reid, to me, looks like a more advanced version than what O'Brien was. Remember now, before this year comes around and before this quarterback came around, uh, uh, Reid's track record in the playoffs was not very good, but it could be changed by that one quarterback that he has in Mahomes. That guy is legitimate. And our quarterback can be the same thing if he has the other complementary parts around him, and we can have that success as well. So I like Kansas City and the Chargers. Kansas City and the Chargers will be advancing. All right, Spencer. Hey, thanks a lot for the visits all season long. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care now. Be well. Great stuff we've got from Spencer all year long. So many different things that he can provide perspective for us because he's been there. He's gone through this as a player. And, of course, takes a look at it as an analyst. Great stuff there from Spencer Tillman. All right, we get back in our final segment. I do a show called Texans Replay each and every Tuesday. A few weeks back, I did the plays of the year. I did the defensive plays of the year. I did the offensive plays of the year. Now, when I did this show, it was right before going to Philadelphia. So I got a couple of additions, but I'll make those next. It's our offensive plays of the year. The alternate 11 offensive plays of the year next right here in Texans All Access. 
The Choose Fun Moment of the Week is brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to answer for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans, Choose Fun. Now, there really was no fun moment from the Indianapolis Colts playoff game. So what I decided to do in this final segment was to give you at least 11, ultimate 11 moments that would apply for our Choose Fun Moment of the Week. And I do the show every week called Texans Replay. And on that show, I go back and I find the ultimate 11 plays of the game. Well, I broke it up into offense, defense for a show in and around Christmas. And I came up with these as your ultimate 11 plays. But at the end, I'll add two more. So here it is. The ultimate 11 offensive plays of 2018 and start with special teams. Because <laughs> I, I didn't do, although I probably could, I probably could do special teams plays of 2018. But I decided at number 11 that I would put special teams plays, two of them, in back-to-back weeks. And one of them happened on the final play of the game up in Indianapolis. And it was Kaimi Fairbairn from 37 yards to beat the Colts for win number one on the season. Fairbairn for the win. 37-yard field goal, right hash mark. Weeks with the snap. It's down. Daniel with the hold. Fairbairn's kick is up. And it's good! And the Texans win in overtime! Man, the the voice, Mark Vandermeer with the call, and you could just tell just that was almost a huge sigh of relief coming out of his mouth. Like, well, okay, we got one. Go on to win eight more in a row for a season high of nine wins in a row. A team organization winning streak uh, record it was just incredible. But it all started right there. Well, then the very next week, Jaime Fairbairn wasn't done. He then had an opportunity from 36 yards out in overtime to beat the Dallas Cowboys. 36-yard attempt for the victory for Fairbairn. Snap is down. The kick is up. It's got the leg. And it's good! And the Texans beat Dallas! Yes, they beat Dallas. I love hearing that. I love hearing the Texans beat Dallas. That's just kind of fun to say over and over and over again. All right, let's get to number 10. And a night that I felt like the Texans were ready offensively to go to a whole different level. Scored a team or a yeah, team high 42 points that night against the Miami Dolphins on Thursday night. They had just come off the win against Jacksonville, took the lead in the AFC South, have not relinquished that lead since. And that night against Miami, if you remember, Deshaun Watson had come back on the bus after that Jacksonville game, and they were playing on a short week. And to me, there was a play in this game that I thought was massive, maybe more massive than than anything that happened in that game. And there were some big plays. And actually, there'll be a play, well, yeah, the next play, number nine as well. But the play number 10 I thought was huge because for weeks the Texans had struggled, struggled on fourth down plays, had struggled in the red zone. And here they were facing a fourth down play against Miami down inside the red zone from the two-yard line. And Deshaun Watson went back to throw. And he didn't find what he wanted initially. But like Dallas, he then scrambled and looked to make a play, to give somebody an opportunity. Unlike Dallas, he was able to find somebody. And he found Jordan Thomas on this fourth down play. And Jordan Thomas' responsibility on this play was to block. But when Deshaun starts scrambling, 
Big number 83 went and circled up and caught his second touchdown of the day. This is at number 10. Fourth and goal at the two. Watson to the gun. Fuller in motion to the right side. Blue in the backfield with Deshaun, who takes the snap. Steps to the right. Watson now scrambling to the left side. Looking for an open man. Watson throws back across his body. Hits Jordan Thomas for another touchdown. The Wizard. Watson does it again. The Wizard. I love it. That play right there. Jordan Thomas, the touchdown. He would have two on that night. DeAndre Hopkins would have two that night. And the play number nine would give Will Fuller one touchdown on the night. And you talk about the prettiest thing you've seen, the deep ball from Deshaun Watson to Will Fuller. This one was launched. There were all kinds of big plays in this game. Hop had a 49-yard touchdown catch. Lamar Miller had a 58-yard run. But it was this 73-yard bomb from Deshaun Watson to Will Fuller that's coming in at number nine. Second down and eight from the Houston 27. Takes the snap, little play fake. Watson loads up, fires downfield, and he's got a man fuller. 25-20, right sideline, 15-10-5. Rock and roll, touchdown, Texans. I think my favorite thing other than the visual aspect of that play is listen to Andre, you can hear him. Mm, Like he sees it. He can see fuller across the field. You can hear him. He's like, "Mm, mm." he wants to say something, but he just won't because he doesn't want to interrupt Mark's call, but that's at number nine right there. Will Fuller, 73 yards. Get well, buddy. We'll see you in 2019. All right, number eight gets the New York Jets. The deep ball again. Yes, love the deep ball. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the deep ball. Just something about seeing the ball majestically in the air. Player making it. It's just one play drives, two play drives. Well, this was a two-play drive. On the first down, Alfred Blue, I think, got a yard maybe after a turnover. J.J. Watt had forced a fumble. Alfred Blue on the first run. After a long break, they decided not to go deep on the first play. They went deep on the second play. And Deshaun Watson would find DeAndre Hopkins for 45 yards. A beautiful throw. Took a hit. DeAndre behind the coverage makes the catch. It's a huge play to give the Texans a 13-3 lead. And it comes in at number eight. Second down and nine at the New York 45. Deshaun with time after a play fake. Guns long. Watts Hopkins and caught for a touchdown by DeAndre. Watson deep to DeAndre Hopkins. 45-yard touchdown pass. Boy, that was pretty. I'm telling you, I'm just a sucker for the deep ball, man. Anytime the ball's going deep, I am a sucker for it. There's something about seeing that majestic spiral in the air and then our guy on the opposite end of it, man. Especially the way some of those deep balls went early in the year. They changed later in the year. You see that at 9 and 8. Will Fuller at 9. DeAndre Hopkins at 8. And Hop is at number 7 with what I think is the catch of the year. At least the ones that counted. I think this one in Jacksonville is the catch of the year. He was matched up one-on-one on Jalen Ramsey in coverage. Down the left sideline. And Deshaun just laid it out there for him. And Hop, being held with his right hand, reached out with his left and made this one-handed catch, my goodness. Just as I talk about it, I can see it from the opposite sideline. And I just know what that did to Jalen Ramsey. At number seven, DeAndre Hopkins uses one hand, his left, to make this 32-yard catch against Jacksonville. And this is at lucky number seven. Watson gets the snap, airs it out downfield, left side, and Nuke with a one-handed grab down the sideline. He's out of bounds in Jacksonville territory. 
The Texans would go down and put points on the board at the end of that drive. A dominating win over Jacksonville, 20-7, to back on week number seven. We're going to stay with that win over Jacksonville at number six. Zach Cunningham at Duke Edgeford forced a fumble on Blake Bortles. And two plays later, Deshaun Watson found that man, DeAndre Hopkins, for a touchdown. Again, Hopkins, Jalen Ramsey, one-on-one. Man, they battle each other. They go at it. This would put the Texans up 20 to nothing, and they were cruising at this point. Sean put it a little bit higher. Hop had to get loose from Ramsey. He did, made the catch, and beat the all-pro corner for a touchdown. It's number six, DeAndre Hopkins touchdown catch in Jacksonville week seven. Second and eight at the Jacksonville 10. Deshaun gets the snap, throws right side. He has nuke. Touchdown, Houston. That gave, like I said, a 20 to nothing lead. That's all they needed. Actually, all they needed was 10 points on that day because the defense was dominating against Blake Bortles and Cody Kessler. But it sure helps to have DeAndre Hopkins make it a one-handed grab on Jalen Ramsey at seven and then making that touchdown catch on Jalen Ramsey at number six. All right, number five, Monday night football. Now, all throughout the year, people have asked me, well, how is the Texans offense going to change? Are they going to do some different things? You know, the shots coming off the knee injury, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think we saw in the Tennessee game in particular, you saw the legs of Deshaun Watson really be a factor. Now he's done things with scrambles earlier in the year, but then he got really banged up in that Dallas game. And for about a probably about a three, four, five-week stretch, he wasn't used as much in the design running game. Well, what better time to bring it out than against Tennessee on Monday Night Football? A little split zone, as we I would call it, slice. We used to call it slice. Instead of the tight end splitting the defensive end out, he went past the defensive end all the way to the linebacker. This play is blocked perfectly. Deshaun read it perfectly. And at play number five on a on emotional Monday Night Football night, what a day, what a day, what a day, what a night, what a weekend that was. Deshaun Watson took this one in from 15 yards. It's at play number five. First down at the 15-yard line of Tennessee. Watson with the keeper, left side, has the 10, has the 5, going for the corner. He's in! 15-yard touchdown run for Deshaun Watson. Nothing I like better than a design run for Deshaun Watson that gets in the end zone and didn't take a hit in the process. That was kind of nice. All right, number four. We go back to week number four, the Indianapolis Colts. 23 seconds on the clock. The Texans had just gotten a stop. It was 34-34 in overtime. Two weeks prior, the Texans were down three with 17 seconds on the clock, a little further out, but they weren't able to get a game-tying field goal attempt. 23 seconds left. Could the Texans, with no timeouts again, at least get in position for a game-winning field goal attempt? Well, they did. And it was because of this play right here. Watson to Hopkins to get it all set up in overtime. And this is play number four in win number one on the season. First down at the Colts, 43 empty backfield. Watson awaits the snap. Here it is. Deshaun looking. Throws over the middle. And he's got Hopkins across the 30 to 25. Hopkins down to the 20-yard line. Everybody hustling downfield. Clock running. 16 seconds to go. And Deshaun would get everybody set. Kiki QT tried to move it. Deshaun said, yo, stay. Everybody got set, spiked it, and Kaimi kicked it through for the first win of the year. That play right there, I thought, was maybe, 
And, of course, it's week four, so there's plenty of football. But I thought that's going to be a really important play for this team. There would be a few more. Let's talk about this one from the Saturday evening matchup with the New York Jets. Down by three, 22-19. Texans got on a drive with five minutes left. Deshaun hit DeAndre. He hit Demarius. He hit Alfred Blue. He hit DeAndre again. He got an interference call, actually a holding call, on Morris Claiborne. And they had the ball down inside the red zone at the 12-yard line. Excuse me, 14-yard line. One-on-one coverage, Deshaun under center. He looked out, he scanned the crowd, he scanned the defense, and he saw one-on-one coverage on DeAndre Hopkins. And he knew immediately where he was going with the ball. He laid it up there, and number 10 went and got a huge catch for win number 10. At number three in our ultimate 11, DeAndre Hopkins, game-winning touchdown catch against the New York Jets. First down at the New York 14. Watson looks it over. Under center, fakes the handoff, throwing left side, wants DeAndre Hopkins, and Nuke with the TD catch! Oh my goodness, he hauls it in! What a catch that was. What a moment that was. Man, that was fun. The Texans would tack on a field goal and win that one. 29-22 for win number 10. And number two, I mentioned that Monday night football game and all that went with that weekend. Founder, CEO, senior chairman, Bob McNair had passed away on Friday, and the Texans played a game on Monday with heavy hearts and a lot of emotion in the building. Late in the first half, with a 14-10 lead, the Texans stoned Luke Stocker, the tight end, inside the three-yard line. Right the three-yard line. Stopped him. Very next play, Deshaun Watson turned and handed to Lamar Miller. It couldn't be 97 yards on Monday Night Football, could it? Oh, yes, it could. And it comes in at play number two. First down from the Texans, three. And here's Miller over right guard. Has a little room. Breaks the tackle. 10, 15, 20, right side, 25, 30. He's to the sideline, the 40, the 50. He's going to go all the way. The 30, the 20, the 10, the 5. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Houston. 97 yards. That one's for you, Bob. Man, that was... An amazing play to watch unfold. 97 yards, takes a, it takes a while to get all the way down to the end zone. Even Lamar being as fast as he is, it takes a while. But I didn't hear that call because I started running in that direction. I didn't hear the call until later, and I just get chill bumps listening to it. I just love that particular play for so many different reasons. But that was against the Tennessee Titans, a good rival of the Texans. But play number one happened against the Dallas Cowboys. And I think because of the way that game went, it'll be remembered for a very, very long time. In overtime, second and nine, Texans offense could not score touchdowns all night, but they moved it. They moved the ball all night. But they now needed to drive. As the Cowboys had lopped off minutes of the clock in overtime, the defense forced them to punt. On first down, one-yard run, not much. Line back up on second and nine. And DeAndre Hopkins was in man coverage on Anthony Brown. Or Anthony Brown was in man coverage on DeAndre Hopkins. That's not a good matchup for Dallas. It was just a matter of whether Deshaun could find him some time to get him the ball. And he did. But it was kind of a rough angle. So Deshaun had to kind of float it a little bit, but not too much. And he threw the perfect ball. And then DeAndre Hopkins became DeAndre Hopspins. Not once, but twice. And number one, Spinorama against Dallas. 
Second and nine for the Houston 24. Watson in the gun. Two receivers left. Hopkins to the right side. QT in motion to the right. Watson fakes the pass to QT. Now throws it downfield to his left. Has Hopkins across the 45. 50. 45 of Dallas. Spin move. 40. 35. DeAndre Hopkins inside the 30. Down to the 27-yard line. What a catch and run by Nuke. I can still see him spinning. My gosh. It was just unbelievable. Now, there are two plays that... I think I would have put, I definitely would have put in the ultimate 11. I'm not sure exactly where I would have put them, and I'm not sure that I wanted to, you know, kind of move things around and put everything in. So I just decided I would give you the two final plays, and they happened about four plays apart in Philadelphia. This was the first one. Third down and 11 from the Houston 44. Crowd revs it up. One back for him and Hopkins short side left. Three receivers to the right. Here's the snap. Watson in trouble. Watson trying to escape. Watson trying to run out of trouble. He does. And he throws downfield. And it's caught. Oh, my goodness. At the 35-yard line by Aikens. Three plays later, Sean Watson did this. Texans clearly in four-down territory. It's third and 11 at the Philadelphia 35-yard line. Maybe looking to get about half of this here. One back blue. Watson in the gun. Here's the snap. Deshaun looking. Deshaun firing to the end zone. And he wants Vincent Smith. And he makes the catch deep in the end zone. And touchdown, Houston! Watson finds Smith! That's how I want to end this show. Appreciate all of you all year long. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you after the Super Bowl. And as always, go Texans.